All right, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to the uh, sixth episode of Shaws and Kings with me, Keith, Weapon X, and we got a guest on today's episode. Uh, his name's Dell, and uh, yeah, and uh, also known as Tier One Comics on his Instagram page. Uh, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for having me on, guys. I've been uh, been uh, watching your guys's episodes pretty anxiously and uh, enjoying every episode that's been coming out. Awesome. I'm just so excited to be here with you guys. Really, yeah, I am. Yeah, we're definitely excited to have you on. Um, yeah, dude. So, you know, you're writing this, uh, you're making this comic book series. It's called The Immortal Asadi. Um, I'm, I'm already like a big fan of it. And I know you're not even done making it yet, but I, I love the concept of it. And also I, I listen to Danny Asadi a lot. So um, just like the whole concept of it is cool. But I mean, why don't you explain to us, like, what, what what's the concept of this? Like, what inspired you to do it? Um. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of just uh, ancient civilizations and ancient culture, especially uh, ancient military history. And uh, one of the, I would say one of the units that have fascinated me the most uh, were the Persian Immortals. And um, a lot of people know the, the Persian Immortals through movies like 300 and uh, some through a little, a little through Assassin's Creed. But um Oh, I just think it's a huge, yeah, you guys talked about it uh, plenty of times in your, your well, podcast of how, but the thing is, it's, it's a, it's a, I would say Persian, especially Persian military history is a gold mine of stories that have not been tapped into. And I think now is the time uh, we're in a day and age where people are just looking for something uh, new. Uh, ironically, this is probably as, as old as, as dirt itself, but uh, not many people know the history of uh, the Persian military and per ancient Persian civilization. And so um, I'm a huge comic book fan. Uh, I love the origin stories of a lot of these uh, heroes like Thor that come from like Norse gods and uh, even your, uh, I would say like your Superman that kind of, they're kind of, I would say they're, they're inspired by a lot of Greek mythology um, and I thought, hey, like nobody's done anything off of Persian culture, or Persian history or Persian mythology. And I want to be able to tell a, a part of history because a lot of these comic books use actual historical events to kind of uh, backbone their stories. And I thought, hey, like nobody's writing about this. I'm going to write about it. Uh, it's going to be some history, part fantasy. And yeah. uh, I think people are ready to with, with so much recycled stories from Greek mythology, I think it's time that uh, Persians got the front seat on this. And even though I'm not yeah. Persian, I, I hope this inspires a lot of Persians to write because there's a tons of great writers and great uh, artists, Persian artists, that I think as soon as this book comes out, it's going to inspire them to really uh, see that people do want to know about Persian culture and Persian history and heroes. Yeah, bro. So... Uh that was a mouthful. And, I'm sorry. It's no, like, no, that's, that's great. And, uh, you know, there's with Persian, unfortunately, like it's very rare that you, that we have someone outside of our community, like dedicate their work to our culture. So obviously like we appreciate it deeply. Um, what it, I guess, you know, with Persian history, unfortunately, a lot of it was burned down, right? Like Alexander the great, the, you know, uh, the Arab invasion, right. A lot of it was burned down. Where do you get your knowledge on that stuff, like the Persian military? Because that's so, very specific. Okay, yeah. So that's a good question, actually. And Keith probably will smile while I talk about this. Um, as we all know, a lot of our history comes from the Greek historians. Uh, yeah. 
for Persian history, it's mostly uh, comes from the Greek uh, historian Herodotus, who's known as the father of uh, history. Uh, he wrote a collection of, um, I would say like chapters, uh, there's different names for them, but uh, it's called the histories. And um, he covers the Persian empire in great detail and kind of takes like a unbiased approach towards it too, because there's a lot of embellished stories about the past, but he, all he did was go around and collect um, historical knowledge and, and, uh, and documents that were on during his time to create his story and then kind of give his opinion on what he thinks is real and what is not. So did the he history himself, is one of the biggest, what's that? Like, did he himself go to Persia? Is that, was mm -hmm. that a thing or? No, he would, he would get his information from, uh, so back when the Greeks were taking over the world and eventually, uh, Alexander the Great did his thing. Um, what Greeks, what Greek historians were doing was they were just trying to compile like a huge library of a collection of ideas from people that would tell them and they would try to do their best to confirm them. Uh, but most of, uh, most of Herodotus's accounts are from third hand accounts, like second, third hand accounts. And, uh, I guess they had their way of, uh, there's a lot of debate within uh, historians of, of how they confirm their uh, sources, but what they'll do is they'll cross-reference them with other historians from other cultures, which is interesting because you have a lot of different takes from like from the, the Jewish people, from uh, well the, the nation of Israel. You have different uh, cross-references with historians from Babylon, which the Persians took over, uh, but the Persians themselves uh, really don't have as solid of a account of their own history. Uh, because history was written, uh, rewritten within the Persian uh, Empire itself, so it's kind of hard, kind of hard, hard to find out who to believe. But what we do know is that when we find these, when these archaeological finds happen, I love following archaeologists and archaeological uh, archaeological newsletters. That's where most of my history uh, uh, conspiracies and confirm of beliefs come from because they'll yeah. discover something and they'll be like, "Hey, we just discovered that the." Uh, first brain surgery in South America predates the first brain surgery over here. So they're constantly debunking history. And that's where I get most of my historical context for Persian history. A lot of history is written from, there's the history according to Darius or Darius, the, um, you mean the king that I believe stole from the Cyrus's uh, loins. And um, then there's the history according to the Greek uh, historian Herodotus which are second and, and third, sometimes fourth hand accounts of the Persian, uh, Persian, uh, Persian Empire and, uh, and then archeological finds. I always think archeological finds are the way to go because they're always proving somebody wrong. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, Keith, you wanna say something about that? Cause you're a history yeah. dude. Um, <laughs> for anyone who wants like a really in-depth version of the history of the Persian Empire during like the Greco-Persian Wars and before that, I recommend Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History, King of Kings. Yes, um, yes. Great. Place great to podcast, too. Yeah. It's like three – each episode on it's like three hours long, but it's worth it if you're interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, with Herodotus, it's interesting because when you have like – you know, you go back to like the Babylonians were very like thorough in their documentation of things that were happening, but it would be very simplistic. Mm -hmm. Then the Assyrians would be would say like – they tried to make it themselves sound threatening. Like they'd be like their lands. I salted their, their babies. I crucified and their woman. I stole into, as slaves. Like that's the entire thing you get from like them conquering a city. That's all they tell you. So like yeah. literally <laughs> exactly how they yeah. word it. He's not literally, even exaggerating. Greeks, it's like Herodotus from 
some stuff I've heard, like he was probably some of the people who were around during the Greco Persian war probably were listening to him talk about the histories. And like, it was almost like a play at a certain mm-hmm. point where he was performing it as like the great saga of the Greco Roman, you know, wars. Um, it's a storyteller. Yeah. So he had to be like accurate enough that people who were actually there could actually have a good time while watching it. And like, so, I mean, we, we'll never know the Persian side necessarily because yeah. all that's gone pretty much. Yeah. Um, and Herodotus, we kind of have to take his word for it. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> until some archaeological find debunks him. Yeah. <laughs> but until then, it, it's, it really is his word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting you say that too because uh, uh, a lot of – it's funny because a lot of uh, – conquering nation the conquering empires destroyed a lot of uh historical context but they also preserved some um the reason why we know a lot about the way the immortals operated and the way persian militaries operated was because whenever uh alexander the great took a uh conquered uh the persian empire he uh he kept a lot of the uh, he, he was a collector of a bunch of like uh i would say military strategy so a lot of it with that a lot of that was preserved for like pretty much his version of the mili- military college or military like library. And so we can uh, historians are able to look at the way Persians flanked and then cross that with archaeological finds. And then, wow. oh, well, these type of bows were able to reach this certain distance. And because of yeah. that, it, there's a lot of crazy science and deduction that happens in like it's like someone because I know Keith's probably if you're into like the the weapons and the way people uh deduct things from history especially when it comes to ancient civilizations and military history um the archaeological finds when finding artifacts which is why I'm a huge Assassin's Creed fan um when you find these uh artifacts like when it comes to the arrowheads to the type of um thread they were using for their bows and the type of wood they were using you can pretty much scientifically uh, calculate the the effectiveness and the type of uh, military tactics that were used during these battles, and it's insane. It, it that's why I love reading uh, and watching a lot of documentaries on on the Persian ma- military history because they they really delve into that, and you're just like, oh, that's how they figured it out. Uh, I mean, nobody's like for a fact says like this is exactly what it said, but a lot of deduction is uh, comes into play when um, diving into Persian history. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting when you look at like why the Greeks won against the Persians. Oh, I and, love those. And almost nobody else did. Who, <laughs> yeah. Like went up against them. And you look at like things like uh that you wouldn't really think about. Like the Persians are used to fighting people on the steppe who are mounted horse archers. Yes. So obviously they're gonna have more archers to try to spread out, you know, the killing field so that they can mm-hmm. actually take people down because otherwise they're just gonna get surrounded. And people shooting at them from all over the place and they're never going to be able to fight them basically yeah really the spartans just had the perfect storm to defeat the immortals that's why i kind of like when i watched the movie 300 uh i'm a huge fan of greek uh history as well um any ancient civilization but the greeks are have established themselves as the winners for history eternal that i mean uh in the future whenever we uh reference something or try to make somebody the good guy it's always the greeks yeah. Uh, they get credited oh, yeah. for way much for way more than they actually came up with. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's funny uh, how uh, Keith was talking about like how how the Spartans would fare with the Persians. It's uh, one of the officers I talked to. Uh, he was a historian and historian in military history, and I, I can't don't quote me on this, but the I know for a fact that the Spartans were actually conquered by some 
some like lame general that just figured out that the Spartans only had one way of fighting a certain, they flanked a certain way or something like that. And that's how they defeated the Spartans. And it was something ridiculous, but this mediocre uh, unit destroyed the Spartans because the Spartans were so disciplined and so straight. And so like the U S army, we use that as like a, uh, a reference of like, Hey, doctrine, we have a principle of patrolling called common sense. And that kind of trumps all doctrine. And uh, I think, you know, as good as the Spartans were, a lot of times uh, they lacked common sense. They, um, yeah, the, um, yeah, like the Spartans, what was it? The Spartans were pretty good up until they don't really know what happened. At a certain point, they usually had a standing army of 10,000. Mm-hmm. And then they had some plague or something that went through and their army yeah. got reduced to like a thousand, two thousand left. And then the, the Thebians came in and to, who are their like rivals for hundreds of years and just took them out basically. Yeah. And then when the Romans came to conquer Greece, the phalanx didn't work well against the legionnaires because the legionnaires would just flank them and a phalanx <laughs> only is good in one direction. So it's like, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to beat that. Yeah. But to get to, to get back to the uh, Persian, Persian immortals that they, there's so much that the Persian immortals just as a military unit had developed over a time during their, their stint uh, in charge. Um, I talked about it with my co-writer um, about how um, the way the Persian Empire was able to quell a lot of rebellions, because you don't hear about m- much rebellions, and they did exist during the Persian Empire, even though the, believe it or not, even though the Persian Empire was so tolerant and everything, there were still people and politics going on in the background where uh, rebellions would try to quell, and the way they would quell them down is through, uh, through you know, just this uh, hyper mythos of of what an immortal is and what the unit meant. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when you guys were talking about the whole, um, when, like, just like a minute ago, you guys were talking about Spartans and uh, I guess like something that bothers like me as a Persian guy, and I'm sure it bothers Farnoosh as well, is that like, you know, like when you look like the Spartan helmet, it's, uh, it's become like a symbol in modern culture now, right? Like yeah. it's become like a symbol of like a uh, discipline. Warrior strength warrior exactly crossfitters use it it's used in a lot of like <laughs> yeah pre-workouts i've seen have them on or yeah right Spartan games now yeah right and, yeah, it's it's Spartan basically race. like a symbol of a warrior and then like it kind of just bothers me again just be i mean not not discounting their courage of course or like how fearless some of them were but it, it's just like when it comes to like again like like you said, there's so much that the immortals have done and what they've contributed to military history that it's, it's just sort of brushed under and that it just like bothers the hell out of me. I, I would say, so I would say they're probably one of the fundamental, they are probably their doctrine and their tactics are probably, I would say, I would dare to say, this is just me making the claim and a lot of historians would agree with me. They are probably the foundation of special operations, uh, special unit tactics. Um, they pretty much, the immortals uh, or the Spartans? No, the immortals. Yeah, yeah. Immortals. The Spartans, yeah, in a way. But the thing is that uh, when when the Persians were conquered, a lot of those uh, – uh, the, the problem with the Spartans, like I said, there there are certain doctrines. And like uh, like we, we Keith just talked about how the Legionnaire pretty much uh, were superior in tactics over the Spartans. Like the Spartans were good at their – they were kind of like – it was like a toolbox, right? And they're just a knife. You know, they're not like a knife and a wrench. And the thing is that – what made the immortals and this was why I say they're the foundation of special operations is because special operations, there's tools. You have a knife for this, you have a scalpel for that, but the 
probably the best and uh, will always come out on top is the one that's more well-rounded. The Spartans were, and this, this is why I love the Immortals so much, um, is because they were experts at archery. That's long distance. They were experts with the spear, which is kind of like close, but you mean at a distance, uh, hand-to-hand combat. C- combat. They were excellent with the Sagaris, which, which is like a, an axe, which is very close uh, combat. And they were also experts with their, their their version of the Persian sword and hand-to-hand combat. So from a long distance up until you're like face-to-face, these guys are deadly and ruthless. So to me, it encompasses an almost all-around warrior versus just that tool in the shed that's only good for one thing. Uh, I think the Spartans uh, are not superior in the Immortals to being well-rounded warriors or what any warrior in modern day tries to uh, accomplish or any other military that existed afterward. Even Alexander the Great tried to get his troops to be more well-rounded um, at the base level uh, than, um, than most um, than most Greeks had in the past. So what was it in your view that caused Alexander the Great's uh, conquest so like successful? Like how was he able to stop the, like, well, how was he able to defeat the Persians and then burn down Persepolis? Well, what a lot of people don't realize about Alexander the Great is he had a lot of great advisors, a lot of great military advisors that seen-ish, and uh, he actually listened to them. A lot of these great conquerors just listened to their advisors and their generals, and they just had the right team. It doesn't take one man a lot. It's, it's, it's like when you think of like Cyrus the Great, right? This guy didn't just, you mean on his own, take, take right. over Mede or take over Babylon on his own. He had a lot of great uh, guys in his ear and just had the perfect storm. Uh, a movement. Um, Alexander the Great was not Greek. He was Macedonian. But um, a, a lot of that, like, hey, the small town guy that's trying to take over, he, there's kind of something that there's like a cause and a rally behind him. And when a cause and a rally behind him, usually the people that are uh, the people that are tired of dealing with stuff like war, which are most of the more intellect military tacticians, because their whole thing is like, let's finish this war and get it over with end up siding with the movement. Uh, that's the reason why Cyrus was able to take over the way he did because, uh, I mean, he's just, you mean, started a movement and, uh, you mean, just a small group of guys uh, started gaining um, uh, favor within the noblemen, uh, with, the me- with the medians, with the Babylonians even. It's, it's just like, a, it's a, the perfect storm. There has to be a movement and then there has to be the perfect, uh, there's a ton of, I can go into depth with the documentary, uh, with the, the details, but there's tons of documentaries that show like how great Alexander the Great's uh, advisors and generals were. And I think that's a huge, the legionnaires are known for their great generals. And that's probably one of the biggest mm-hmm. uh, takes is just military leaders. They're the, they're the backbone. Like you have your, to this day, you have your NCOs, which are your like enlisted guys that they're not the officers, but they're the ones that have seen battle, know battle, and they give you advice. And if you listen to them, you could probably win a war. Hmm. Interesting yeah. stuff. The, Greek, the Greeks and the Macedonians also had the advantage of the uh, the Persians generally used like wicker armor and wicker shields because mm-hmm. they were facing ranged combat more often than not. They weren't generally in close combat. The Greeks yes. had were heavy infantry and like metal ar- and uh, bronze armor, and generally speaking, the arrows wouldn't even hit them mm. a lot of times. So it was it wasn't a great matchup for the Persian style of fighting. For the most, no. for the most part, either, and also Alexander the Great, um, he actually had to pay off and like make treaties with a bunch of the uh, yeah. the Celts and the Balkans, like north of him, 
before he could go conquer because otherwise they would have just raised Macedonia. So like <laughs> his army would have been pretty much practically nothing by the time he got through there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. But yeah, I think that was the fall of the Persian Empire there. I I just think um also maybe too much diversity. It's hard to get everybody under one banner um under the same cause. Uh there's always going to be a disenfranchised group and they're always going to form alliances and then eventually it just takes down even the most tolerant, most generous empires. It's just that's just how this is how things work. All empires are doomed to to eventually crash and then a new one forms. Always. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No matter how good and benevolent. Yeah. Um absolutely, man. Uh Fanders, you've been quiet, man. Well, I'm actually interested to see delve more into uh the um the direction that the comic is gonna be going into. <clears throat> all right, so how this all ties in with uh, yeah. So on the surface did. level, yeah. No, no, I, that's a that's a good one for new uh, no, you, you wanna keep on adding before I Please go ahead. Mm. All right. So, so on, on the surface level, it's all cool. Like, well, cool. There's finally a story with Persian immortals and this right. and stuff like that. But uh, this, this is also a sensitive topic, uh, especially for me, because I, I follow like the state of like the Persian as a people very closely. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends that are Persians and I kind of like, you know, hear what's going on with them. And um, also being in the military myself is one of those things where it's like um, we really serve the people. And the immortal Asadi as a character, he really serves the people. He's indifferent towards the politics and all this stuff. And he's just doing his duty. You know what I mean? Like, like people might say like, oh, military members are like our pawns and stuff. But the thing is that like with or without, no matter who's in charge, it's a profession. Being a warrior is a profession. We don't decide who is in charge of us or when we serve the populace. We serve the people. We serve the people in charge of us, no matter who it is. And the thing is that you just can't leave. And then when the leader you like shows up, you go, you show back up because we, it, it's, it's a, it's a, I would say not government, but it's led by whoever's in charge. So that being said, uh, the immortal Asadi, he's this character in this unit. I mean, this elite unit that serves the King. They were known as the King's bodyguards, you know, and it's just certain to until a certain point in time. What time period? So this is a community period. Uh, this it starts off 525 BC when they uh, when can uh, can Kim, or Cambyses, however people want to pronounce it. Um, this uh, the second goes into Egypt. Uh, he takes over Egypt, and there's a lot of uh, talk of conspiracy of what really happened. The type of person Cambyses yeah. was, and archaeological finds found out that he was actually a pretty decent stand-up guy. Uh, not according to what Darius said. I mean, uh, archaeological he was found that like crazy guy, like out of yeah, that he was a crazy yeah, guy. Yeah, he stabbed yeah. the Apis bull that pissed off right. the Egyptians. Right. False, false. Archaeological finds show that he actually built them a temple, and there's actually actually a find of him worshiping the Apis bull. So that being said, and he was so in love with the Pharaoh's daughter, which is uh, loosely fact, but also like you I mean historians are on the on the side now that it actually did that actually was the thing whether. He was tricked or not by the pharaoh. We don't know. That's story, but embellishments. But uh, there was a pharaoh, uh, pharaoh's daughter. He did marry, uh, and uh, he built a temple for this bull. Those are facts, and archaeologists have discovered that. And so I was like, hmm, this is interesting. This is make a good story. So going back to Immortal Saudi, he serves the king. He's loyal to the king. He's loyal to his people. Uh, the kings at that time, Cyrus, Cambyses, Bardia, they're all loyal to their people. 
I think sometime between Darius and Xerxes II, it kind of started changing. And then these Persian kings started developing this God complex. And it usually happens with every uh, kingdom where they start developing this God complex until the point where the last Persian king had a God complex, even though he was benevolent, he was tolerant. He still had this kind of God complex that kind of destroyed the what the Persian empire started off as. A bunch of guys that just wanted to be, you know, basically like libertarians of the past where they were just like, dude, like we just want people to live the way thing, let's stay out of their thing. Like you pitch in to help out the nation as a whole. And so Asadi is like kind of for that because this is the origin story of the Persian empire. Uh, Cyrus is the origin origin story, but I think it took a, a shift during Cambyses and Bardia, his brothers uh, period. And so Asadi, he's stuck in this, this part where it's like, all right, uh, Spoiler alert, Bardia, I mean, it's history. Bardia gets killed by supposedly his brother. Cambyses gets killed and then Darius becomes king. How? Right. And the only reference we have to how that happened was Darius's accounts, which is complete BS to me. You want to tell me like, you want to tell me that there's a, a mage that looked just like Bardia, sounded like Bardia and nobody noticed because he covered his ears. And yeah. then the way Darius became king was because he had to stick his, he had his, his horse, uh, the guy that takes care of his horse, stick his uh his hand into the genitals of his his horse's favorite horse and then put it up to the horse's uh Darius's horse's face and when he neighed during sunset that made Darius king like that's history according to Darius literally Darius is saying this is what happened like I don't buy it you know what I mean and yeah. now we're discovering Cambyse right wasn't a jerk he was actually raised well by his father Cyrus and his Cyrus actually co- uh, co-ruled the kingdom with because uh, he knew this was going to happen. He made Cambyses his son, the king, while he was king. And when he was killed, Cambyses just took after what his father wanted to do. He said the next threat is Egypt. And so the immortal studies discovering this. He's the person that actually knows history, actually how it went. Now, it, this isn't history, actually how it went, but this is how yeah. I think. And I'm creating a fantasy based off of archaeological that. finds. And I think it's just a huge conspiracy and conspiracies make for a good story. Uh, especially people who like national treasure or the mummy or all these things that use actual. It, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah it really does. It does remind me of Assassin's Creed a lot because it's historical fiction. And uh, I don't know if you played the third one with the American revolution. I did. But, you know, yeah, yeah. You're playing as like this guy, like this uh, Indian native Indian, Con Connor. And it's just like history for what it really is. And like the history that we're taught in schools is like a very nationalist, uh, you know, romanticized version of American history where like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, Samuel Adams, these people are basically like gods, right? Like that's yeah. basically like how they teach, uh, teach us in schools. And uh, I don't know, then like, you know, you play through Connor's story and you realize that these men are just as flawed uh, yeah. and they're just as power hungry. And they also make pretty stupid decisions in battle yeah. and war. And they're really not as great as like we read in our textbooks, right? And um, I and in the the way you described uh, the Asadi character, um, he, he seems like he's kind of like that. He's kind of like an individual freedom mm -hmm. fighter, and like he's not really doing it for the king, but he he's in a way he's an assassin, like like in yeah. a way, like he he has like the same ideals, and he's not serving any side. He just wants his main motive is just yeah. You know, he believes his people. king is doing it for the people, and that's why he protects his king. And in Cambyses, and I believe Cambyses adopted his father's uh his father's take and Cambyses I believe actually had a good relationship with his brother and uh there's a historical Bardia. argument whether Bardia 
there was a, a long, uh, I think a two year or one year, around one year to two year rebellion that Bardia led against Darius before Darius actually, it took Darius a while to convince people that, that Bardia was actually like an imposter that looked like the brother Bardia and that Cambyses killed his brother. It took a while and Bardia actually led a pretty successful, a almost successful, yeah, it was a, it was a coup. And, um, and uh, don't quote me as fact, but that's where a lot of facts are leading to. That's where a lot of the, the dust sense. is. And for Nish to uh, answer your question a little bit more in depth, the immortal society is about the state of the union. So what is being immortal, right? Does it necessarily mean uh, like you can't die? Because uh, whenever I see comic books create immortal characters, it's like, well, is he immortal? He has weaknesses. So this character, immor uh, the immortal Asadi, I don't want to give too much away, but he's only as strong as the Persian Empire is, the Persian people. And what, it's in, what I find, what I really love about Persian culture is it's an ancient culture that still is pretty strong till today. It, oh, yeah. it, there's an ethnic group that still like has like their history like intact, even though we're in modern day and they still kind of not, they don't follow it to the T, but they know it. They know it exists and they know it's there from like the Ahura Mazda to the, the Vesta to, I would say more the Shahname, the Ferdowsi poems. Like you see like Persians will kind of like, yeah, that's like how our ancestors are. That's how Cyrus was. It's like, you, you guys are still like, it's Persian. Like uh, uh, who was it that was talking about how, um, uh, I think it was you, uh, Farnoosh, you were talking about how I think Assyrians versus Syrians, like, how alive is the actual Assyrian uh, culture today? Like, do they have a nation? Do they exist? And I think that's what's yeah. special about the Persian people is that they still exist. In, yeah. in an era where, like, it's called a different country. It's called Iran now. They still well, exist as people. I mean, it's always kind of been called Iran. It's just to right. outsiders and to outsiders. whatnot, it was always known as Persia amongst ourselves. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Called Persia. But... To go back into depth, what I want to go know regarding the, regarding the comic is you did mention that, you know, Asadi is an immortal. He is a soldier. The soldier serves his king, serves his nation, serves his people. But at times, um, I'm pretty sure during the shift as history transpires and all these conspiracies take place, so to speak, that he's got his personal views on it as well. Are we going to um, see that interesting dynamic with yeah. So, uh, so, so Farnoosh, so whose side do you think he's going to take? Is he going to take <laughs> Darius's side? Is he going to is he going to stay like? Does he think Bardia has a chance? Does he does he lead his own thing? Like who who who's next in charge? Who who's around in this time and period when all this was happening? You know what I mean? That that's what I want. That's why I want people. Like I'm creating this fantasy. This like this uh historical fiction but now people are going to want to dive and be like did that person ever exist in persian history oh yeah it yeah. did but actually this person was this like i i'm really i'm really yeah. like cracking the shell and i i, I want asadi to be this person that's a skeptic and kind of has like is 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 uh i guess conflicted with who he should follow why he even is following should he even be fighting should you know, all these questions are at the state he's a his, like it's he relates so much to me he's a warrior that's his profession that's my profession my profession is a warrior even this modern day it's my profession uh and that's his profession it's it's all he's ever known is what he grew up around so can you just leave that do you continue fighting do you find a place where to fight for and um i'll give a little bit more of historical context with uh reference to um 
the uh, the factions that started happening during that time. There was a lot of civil war going on at the time. And at that time, uh, actually, um, no, before then, uh, during the reason why Cyrus died in the first place uh, was there were already outside ears from Greek lands trying to whisper into certain uh, people that were subordinate towards the Persian Empire to pretty much uh, rebel against or pretty much start this whole, is this, it was this bringing up of uh, like, hey, the Persian Empire, the Persian king doesn't really have your interest. So it's, it's almost like a Game of Thrones. It, it really is. And mm. that's what I want people with Immortal Asadi to try to, that's where they're really going to understand who he is as a person is through uh, the sides he chooses and the decisions he makes. And not just that, it's the state of the union, how, how strong he is in his power and his immortality is how strong the nation the persians are as a people so right. even without a nation yeah. he's only as strong as how alive the culture is and that's I that. like I, i'm not going to dive into like time and where he's thing but like he's definitely not going to be in the community period for all his life he's going to have an immortal age quality to him and because of that hey. he will continue in the future and uh, I'm not going to say like say where in the future or when he leaves the future where like he's not going to be time traveling backwards. He's always going to be going forward. He's immortal. He'll he'll keep living forward, but he doesn't go back. So the thing is that his motives and his as the world changes around him, as the world changes around the Persians, the Persians have been able to maintain their identity. And he is only as strong as how much the Persians maintain their identity. This is a huge reason why I decided to name Dude, him the immortal Asadi. Because this, this has a lot of potential to go like, because I mean, if you have the balls to do it, and I'm, I know I'm pretty sure you do, like, you can almost like kind of like Assassin's Creed, like, uh, you know, you can keep going into the future, just like how every game progressively goes forward and forward. And it would be cool to do like later on, like a modern day, like Immortal Asadi 1979 revolution in Iran. Like that will be let's really just say, interesting. Let's just say I got the, the this this first part is going to be a six issue part. Yeah, it's the Kimmonid era base. It's like his first timeline. Yeah, I have yeah, already yeah, four yeah. planned ahead timeline oh, and shit. everything. So this yeah. isn't just like some uh, uh what do you call that uh one and done thing. You know what I mean? There there's obviously some growing pains I'm going to because I I've started an LLC. I've started. I have other stories I want to other characters outside of Asadi. But it's all in this universe, and it's not going to be as like what people think of, like when they think of like an Avengers universe and everything. This is all Earth. Uh, I'm not doing space. Mm. This is all Earth, but it's all people in history in Earth in modern mm. times. Like I have I uh, my original uh, character that I was going to start with was one. Uh, he was going to be a special forces like uh, prior special forces paraplegic guy that lost his legs, and he was pretty much a guy that was deployed to the Middle East and also deployed to uh, South America and his huge thing was his main villains were the drug syndicate and uh, human trafficking. And that was going to be his huge thing. And this evil that exists outside of what his power was, which stems from the immortal Asadi's origins. So the immortal Asadi is the first Avenger pretty much. And everybody else that I'm creating in tier one comics is, <laughs> are people that have come out after Asadi's the oldest member uh, and I'm not saying that they're going to do this corny Avengers team or whatever. I'm, yeah. saying, I'm just saying he's the oldest member of my universe. And it's really not a universe because I'm, I'm keeping it in Earth and I want to keep it in Earth. If I decide Dude. to do space, it's going to be a completely different thing. I'm not going that route. I, I like history. I like Earth's I history. And I want to play with fantasy on Earth, not fantasy from 
uh, thing. And uh, I have other writers that want to collaborate with me and we're working on it, but it does stem from kind of like an earth uh, mythological it, standpoint. Don't rush that because that's, that's, that's a golden yeah, idea. It's, it's going to take time. And the thing is, yeah. uh, this first issue alone is uh, taking me... Uh, most people knock out a whole one series in six months. And like I'm like, dude, that's not... That's not how I'm going to do it. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of growing pains that are going to happen to you when it comes to like dating things because uh, my my story is not his completely historically accurate. It's like, for example, I'll give one example. The Immortals were 10,000 strong. They weren't always 10,000 strong. They weren't 10,000 strong when Cyrus started the Empire. They were just a group of guys, probably maybe 100, maybe a few hundred. Um, but by the time Darius and Xerxes were in power, oh yeah, they were at 10,000. Um, another thing, uh, the face mask, right? I, I decided to give them face masks during the Kimminid period, period. They didn't wear face masks during the Kimminid period. They were the, the, the more, um, they were made fun of by the Greeks because they felt like they were wearing like shirts on their heads and stuff like that. Um, but uh, everybody kind of knows what they, I, I posted a picture in my timeline uh, or by an artist actually uh, from Iran that did an accurate depiction of what immortals really look like versus my immortals, which are more, I would say, uh, during the Persian Greco wars, uh, immortal. Uh, so there's a lot of liberties I've taken, but I'm taking it in the historic, yeah, like fine. in a world where, you know what I mean? No, it's you're, not, you're treating it with respect and yeah. you're not like, yeah, that, that's totally fine. Unlike other movies and or books or, you know, comic books. Yeah, you're um, not like, turning them into orcs. <laughs> right, yeah, no, yeah, they're not turning into like, orcs. Frank, I love the attention to detail. I love the fact that you're taking all these things in consideration in terms of at least, um, implementing um, a certain amount of historical accuracy with um, and also taking uh, the time to um, consider the development of the character and you know the certain dilemmas he'll face on his journey because I think ultimately besides the uh, the fun and the historical aspect that's really what's going to get people vested in Asadi's journey as a soldier as a man and <laughs> overall in what transpires throughout the story as it goes on through different periods um a lot of people don't do that in general they don't um pay enough attention to uh, actual character development when it comes to mm -hmm. stories they just create this elaborate um i don't want to say universe in this case but um the world in which in which it takes place but they forget to uh, actually go into depth about things about uh, what that character might have been going through yeah. or how things in that time period would have influenced that character to make certain decisions. Um, like, again, you were referring to earlier in the discussion, um, artists taking a little bit of liberties and you kind of nitpicking at it. Those things are also very important because when you're dealing with a certain audience, especially when it appeals to a certain demographic, yeah. um, I'm not saying everybody will, but there are people that do nitpick at these discrepancies and the more mm. authentic you keep it at, while at the same time giving people a real story to invest themselves in um i feel like uh, i feel like it's a really exciting adventure to go down and uh i look forward to reading the comic and following the journey of the side yeah yeah the important thing too is like when you do take liberties as a writer and developing and it's based off of a certain culture or demographic that's the important thing is like, you got to kind of look into, especially when you're not like of that culture is like how much of this would be okay. And how much of this wouldn't be like, for example, like, I think some of them are just like, you're always gonna have your nitpickers, 
um, like for example, like my story, uh, Asadi is going to go do recon and he's sent over to Bardia, which is based off of history according to Darius. Cambyses sent a assassin to go kill his brother. And in my story, they send Asadi, but they think of people, oh, why are they sending an immortal in the army to do recon? They don't do reconnaissance, blah, 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 blah. I was like, it's just how little you know about the actual immortals and what, like, you know, they weren't just all, like, a lot of people believe that immortals were just always immortals. Like, a lot of the times there were, uh, especially in the early times uh, of the empire, a lot of them were selected. You know what I mean? And so they had professions before they even went into uh, into the immortal army. It wasn't until they became more organized as a unit and were able to develop a doctrine and a, a uh, I would call it a selection process that they were actually able to like, all right, we've established ourselves as a, 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 like an army. Let's start organizing our units and start organizing jobs and, and what your tasks are as, I mean, it, b- before then it was a bunch of ruffians. Know what I mean? It was just Cyrus and his boys like rolling through, mm-hmm. you mean, <laughs> taking over the place. And they're like, all right, we need to get organized because we're actually gaining ground and we're gaining numbers. And the more numbers you get in the military, the more you have to organize. And that's when the, they decide, all right, we're going to ignore, organize the immortal to be our special unit. And they're going to be able to do this, this, and that. So the immortal Saudi, he's, he's, he, he, back then, immortals. And, that, and that's why I'm taking, I'm like, hey, dude, this is historical fiction as well. So I'm actually basing this historical fictional part uh, off of some historical fact, actually. So th- there could be a guy that did this. And little, little things like that that people nitpick that I, I really want to delve into. Uh, that that I decided like, hey, I'm gonna take liberties in doing this, and if somebody confronts me, I'll be able to easily uh, refute it. I think well, the, the biggest thing is, pe- too. yeah, I think all people care because look, they do that with Greeks all the time. So that's and that's the thing I'm doing when I'm entering Zahak into this uh, in, into the equation, right? So Zahak, uh, yeah. I hate to spoil that. So Asadi's gonna mm-hmm. fight this character called Metigwar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's uh, the Manicor. The Manicor actually comes from Indo-Persian. Uh, uh, is it has an Indo-Persian um, background. Uh, it wasn't a lion's face. It used to be an old person's face. Uh, it used to hide in the reeds and it'd have a scorpion tail. It had crimson body. And so Asadi is going to confront this like behemoth of an animal or creature in the book on his way to do something. And I'm going to make this whole thing, this whole dialogue between the two. And uh, I'm really like taking it back to like, like, hey, this is, this is like in a historical context, but dude, remember, this is fantasy. There was no r- real man eater, right, right. but like he's going to be, fi- he's throwing spears at like mythological creatures. Like to a certain extent, you're going to have to accept the fantasy of it all. Right. Because people do that with Zeus all the time. They make up their own story of Zeus and their own story. That's necessary, in my opinion. Yeah. No, like um, because I do that in Greek mythology too. I mean, like all the Norse time, mytholo- you know, everything there is. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for this because again, like in uh, American and not, you know, Western pop culture, you know, you have, you know, like you have, you know, people worship, not worshiping, but like, you know, everyone knows about the Greek gods. Everyone knows about the Roman gods. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who Thor is. Uh, they dress up like them for Halloween. You know, we have like, we have Marvel movies about these characters. Yeah. We have, not even just Marvel movies, but in general, you know, you go to cartoons, school. Hercules and all this other right. stuff. Disney yeah. movies, you go to school. And like, I, I, I specifically remember we spent like two months, like we had like a two month period where we're just learning about Greek Odysseus and yeah, Hercules yeah, and the task. Yeah. We had to take a quick, like yeah. lots of quizzes and tests yeah. on these people. And I remember there was even like a Greek day where we had to basically like dress up. Like, you know, they assigned us a God or goddess to dress up as, and, uh, Did you have to do the parade thing, Shaheen? Like where we went, like you dressed up as the god, and we went through the school, right? 
Did you have to do that, or was that just my team? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 wait, I, I had to dress honestly, up as Poseidon dude, and like take a tour through the whole school. Honestly, like, dude, I now that you mentioned that, you tried it and just <laughs> yeah, I sure did. In college, that. I remember people walking around in togas there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, I was fucking. I, I was Hermes. I was Hermes. So <laughs> I, 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 I have no pride in that. But <laughs> oh shit. But um, not nah, man. But it, I, I don't know, like. I just think it's sad that, like, in pop culture, like, oh, you know, and then there's the Egyptian gods, right? Like, oh, like, oh yeah, wanna, those are fun. Yeah, people want to, like, yeah. Honestly, like, I would say uh, Egyptian culture was the first ancient culture I really got into besides, like, Incan culture because um half Peruvian. But um, Egyptian culture is actually what led me into Persian culture because, uh, like, um, yeah, I studied the Bible and the most I watched this cartoon when I was a kid called The Prince of Egypt. It came out in theaters and it was this big thing. It was great animation, one of the some of the best animation. And I was like, man, that's so cool. Like Egypt and this culture and this and that. And so I got it really and then I saw the movie The Mummy and I was like, oh that's so awesome. But see here's the thing like I get a lot of questions that are like, oh will people be interested in Persian culture? I'm like, yeah. If the story's cool and like the story yeah. is cool. Like nobody's talked about it though. Like watching the mummy as a kid i'm not even egyptian and i got so into egyptian culture egyptian history the pyramids right. the mystery i'm like and then when i started learning about like who conquered the egyptians like oh man that's a bummer where did they go and i wanted to know where they went so i started studying about all these other empires that took over and then eventually i came across the persians i was like dude this one has yeah. way more mystery and way more like uh, i don't know just uh fundament foundations in future cultures that like, why is nobody talking about this? Bro, I and, think you made an interesting point, though, because you said you were exposed to this when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, even like with Hercules, it was a it was a cartoon. It was a Disney cartoon. And, uh, you know, like, you know, I'm, I know you saw the last fiction, which was, uh, yeah. you know, the one about Fair Dune uh, and, and Zahak. And, which, yeah. Yeah. Which I, I have mixed feelings about. But uh, but I still love the idea. I love the concept. I love the fact that they actually mm-hmm. made something like that. And um, I, but at the same time, like that was not me for kids. It was uh, it was kind yeah, it was, of like an adult anime. It was bloody. It was. it was dark and pretty corny. But it was uh, it was a step in the right direction. But I think because if you wanted to, ha- I feel like maybe I maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like you raised a really good point. Like when you said you were exposed to this as a kid, I don't know if the right like because I what I'm hoping for is like something like this needs to stick too. like, yo, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is so cool. Right. Like, and like, do you think like, not, not, maybe not you, but like future creators of Persian fantasy content, do you think like they need to kind of market it towards kids so kids can pick it up and then grow up with it? <clears throat> kind of, uh, I think more the young adult, uh, phase, uh, because, um, when you're kids, your parents kind of govern, uh, what you like and stuff like that. And then uh, you start, I think in the young adult phase, that's where you uh, start becoming a little bit more like, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you start hitting the, so like uh, I watched the Prince of, Prince of Egypt and the mummy uh, during like my, I could say preteen, teen uh, years. I think that's what I'm aiming for. But the thing is in my preteen and teen years, I was, I liked, I, th- I think the last fiction was a little bit more adult, just like the guys that like anime type deal would love that. I showed all my friends that love anime and they love that. Uh, they love the animation in it but um if you target like the mummy is, is kind of a a scary kind of kid movie i guess a family movie mm-hmm. but it, it still wasn't afraid to show some dude getting sucked in and looking like a corpse at the end know what i mean yeah so there, there needs to be some touch of yeah he, he mean, I feel like mature audience, audiences oh, yeah. 
I feel like two things need to happen. With it needs to have appeal. Number one, yeah, it has to do with the presentation, because I compare this. Okay, if you look at it from the form of hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. There were white rappers before Eminem, right? Oh yeah, we had, but we all remember that bomb that is known as Vanilla Ice. Yeah, Vanilla Ice presentation sucked. They found out he was a fraud, and <laughs> it took years to recover from that before we got a guy like Eminem with an official yeah. stamp where everybody started saying, okay, now it's cool to be white in the rap and all mm-hmm. that. And I'm not saying that that's everything that has to do with it, but my bringing it back to the comic, yeah. if you present it in a way that it both has appeal, it's like, whoa, these are cool stories. These are something that I could really get into, you know, like um, invest my time in and feel like I'm a part of it uh, when I'm reading it and get drawn in and at the same time it's presented as something that's actually um for lack of a better word cool yes and then people will yes people will be drawn to it because the next guy is going to see that and go like well okay he did that let me see how i could pick up this story or a different part of this time period do it a whole lot better and start to build upon it i mean they did it the same way with the the marvel universe yeah. They say it all the time. If Iron Man had not been successful, nothing would not nothing have, else would have fallen. Nothing else would have fallen right. into place. Iron Man was dope. I mean, it wasn't the dopest Marvel movie, but when it dropped, it was really, really dope. And quite frankly, I know that Iron Man had its fair share of followers and devoted fans to the character. Barely. But as a whole, yeah. a lot of people didn't know who the hell Iron Man was that didn't read comics. Now yeah. all of a sudden you got this guy, his story's cool character's cool and then you want to know who else he's involved with so that then you go into this oh did we lose him Avengers in the moment oh, yeah. i think something like you know the immortal asadi and or anything that follows with a dope representation yeah just that if you start getting a follow where people have that real appearance say okay <laughs> yeah this is the shit that we want to read we want to now know more about this yes. time period more about these man stories. other people will pick up on it and then it'll be a part of, <clears throat> uh, for lack of a better word, pop culture. Something that people mm. will want to actually invest their time <clears throat> in and say, yo, I want more of this. Give me more. This is dope. So this is my biggest complaint. My biggest complaint with inclusivity in comics and in the entertainment industry. This is my biggest complaint. Like, for example, you're talking about Iron Man. I read comic books. I was in and out of comic book stores. But uh, Iron Man, I could care less for Iron Man. But then I saw the movie. It didn't really encourage me to read the comics because the comics kind of just based off the movie, but I actually thought Iron Man was pretty cool. I thought the movie was cool. I thought his attitude, everything, I was just like, wow, like this is cool. I want to watch the next one. And it became, he became one of the more popular uh, um, Avengers. Captain America, one of the most like retarded looking uh, superheroes in the Avengers. And they just did a great job on the movie, the story, the pacing. And they made a guy with a shield and little wing thing. They, organized it in a way to where it actually looked cool. And he, my favorite Avenger movie is not an Avenger movie. Like Civil War is not an Avenger movie, but that's my favorite yeah. one. Know what I mean? Yeah, and right. so my biggest complaint with like, especially when they try to like, I saw, um, was it uh, Vampires in Brooklyn? I know Vampires in Bro- Vampires versus the Bronx on Netflix. And so I'm Dominican, right? And it's like, I feel like, so there's a lot of Dominicans in the Bronx, right? And so they're trying to like show how Dominicans are. And it's just this corny, like, oh yeah, that's Dominican. Yeah, see, that's what we do. Oh yeah, we do that too. And like, oh, they're just so like corny. It almost makes us look comical. 
we are comic book people, but it's just so forced for people to try to feel the Dominican in it. I'm just like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. Like, this is like, I get it. They're Dominican. We get it. And it just comes out corny. Um, it goes back to the presentation. Going we back have to that same so, problem with dove asses like the Shaws on Sunset. So, <laughs> so, so, like, I think uh, my biggest thing with uh, I loved the last fiction, but um, I'm gonna have to agree with Shaheen on this one. It was for me. I think the presentation could have been a whole lot better in the sense of like yeah. I really felt what they were trying to do. They were trying to tell like a huge story and a lot because there's a lot of from the Shaname that they pulled from, and they were trying to give Zach a more like. Uh, like an actual like personality. Trying to humanize him. They're yeah. trying to humanize Zach, and uh, which was cool. And I saw the direction, but it sounded it looked like they had six different directions because they wanted to be like, oh, we also want to highlight this in Persian, and we also want to highlight this in Persian culture. And like, I had somebody come at me, and they were like, oh, where are the females? Like on the first. Uh, oh God. My I was like, bruh. He's like, you know, there were females. I'm like, yes, I know that. He's like, well, when are the females coming out? I'm like, bro, trust me, in time not forced and you're gonna love it because i i'm not a fan of yeah presenting them to like oh wait yeah look and they showed that there was a female like no i wanted her to come <laughs> yeah, in the right yeah. time when she's supposed to come in and uh because a lot of people don't know um i can't remember the name of the top of her head but she her and her husband actually like led the first group of immortals they were like uh pretty much cyrus himself uh like put them in charge of the immortal unit and in, in organizing them as a unit like i said once they started winning ground and she was actually like in, in, in this is another mythology and and uh some of it has been uh confirmed as fact that she actually went in battle with them and she was so beautiful that she had to put a mask on because the dudes couldn't like you know even she was fierce in battle and she was also you mean so i'm like dude i know that trust me i have i'm gonna do it but i'm not force feeding it down people so like it's gotta be when, done properly that's because when I'm, people I'm, read I'm my comic they're gonna be like he's trying to show this and he's trying to show that and he's trying to show like uh, i'm not gonna answer everybody's question right place. away yeah Everything is time. And I'm totally on board with you on that, too, because, again, the whole reason you're, you're talking about that in your aspect of presentation on that end is why Captain Marvel is my least favorite Avengers movie. Because I yes. thought that was forced on us uh, with corny, a certain yeah. agenda, and that was yeah. made to be corny. Um, but that's, again, you know, like, it's what you present, how you present how you it. present it. And um, it, it all ties back, but you, your concern and the con, cons with, presenting something that may not necessarily fit in the, the right scheme of things just because you want to appease or um, a fan base. Um, that's not, the, the, I'm not down with that, no. Yeah. Uh, the importance, the important thing is like, and it's all gonna, and that's the, the, the biggest thing. I'm more for, focused on developing the immortal society as a character to where, like you said, like I, th I believe when people ask me, will people be interested in Persian story? I'm like, oh yeah. Like I, I'm not even Egyptian, and I was into the mummy. Why? Because it was just it, was, it, it brought in all the concepts of of like uh, Egyptian mythology and the wonder and the history and the archaeology behind it in such a great pace that I stayed there for the next four that they made. You know what I mean? Uh, pirate culture, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's fantasy slash, you mean historical fiction. We stick around for Jack Sparrow because Jack Sparrow is such a great character and well developed. <laughs> yeah that through each one you're learning that's what you need to do you just need to like like make it make people like love the character yeah. first i'm kind of right. curious um i mean without spoiling too much like um because in a lot of these like cool comic books or these movies like you know it's like especially with the with the character description you gave me of asadi where he's more of like an individualist 
and he does this kind of like his own thing. A lot of these like characters, they sort of they're more like quiet, reserved. They're grounded, and, like uh, and I can't like for example, Altair like Altair from the first Assassin's Creed game, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Like he didn't have the he didn't have like the flashy charisma that Ezio did in the second game. Like he was yeah. more just like quiet. I I, I get the shit done. And you know, just is is Asadi kind of similar to that, or is he is he like charismatic? Or it's it's so funny because it's like uh, the character development. Like in my head, Ezio was like Al Jazeera. Like it, to me, it was like a, a morph into the character because it's you playing the game, so it's still you. But you adopt yeah. the personalities of the assassin in the first one, and then when you go in, into Ezio and you're in Florence and you're doing this this whole like. Uh, running through the buildings, it, like I, I think the first time I felt myself in this character, and I felt it, like I was, I was the first, the person in the first uh, Assassin's Creed was when I was running through the, I was racing his brother and getting called like the yeah. tortuga guy, and you're like, and you're like really getting into the story and everything. And then now, like I've been in love with this character more than I was the last one. The Immortal Society, I think uh, people grow as as people. So uh, I'll go ahead and give away. The Immortal Society is more. Uh, a reserved character kind of like keeping his opinions to himself while everybody around him has opinions everybody has opinions everybody thinks this everybody's thinks that everybody thinks this is everything he's more reserved but then he makes decisions and that's where you really find out his character on the decisions he makes the people he has as friends like the the one person there are a few people that he has friend his horse uh uh and then I, as we progress in like in my timelines i have him more as like so there's like an element to a person where you as a reader have grown with him to you're like, oh yeah, he wasn't always like that though. You I mean this this thing happened to him and then he's changed as a person. Cause uh there's always like this fundamental of who a person is, and eventually it changes because times change. And since Asadi is gonna be sticking around for a while, he's gonna change his personalities and his attitudes. Uh and he'll learn through people he comes across. Uh and I think that's the biggest thing is uh he's gonna be this character that him himself is core, he knows he's good. And then he's going to pick and choose what type of characteristics he's going to have uh, from people he meets along the way. Okay. No, I, I asked that because um, the actual person, Danny Asadi, you know, obviously like you know him very well, but um, like his videos, like, you know, like when, like he, like he does this thing where like he presents himself as a very like mysterious figure. Like, you know, he kind of mm-hmm. just looks directly at the camera without saying a single word and just goes like, Boom, 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 and like he's like that and, in real life man <laughs> and like yeah yeah and like i have no idea like i mean i think it's cool as hell like it's um yeah yeah but like i he's, was wondering if any of that's like inspired by like yes him as a it, 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 yeah. it is because he is a reserve prayer like i was in class with him i went to full sale with him and he brought his like his his uh his machine into class and he's just sitting there and he's like really not trying to flash it he just brings it because he's always practicing he's always practicing and then we just started talking about Persian culture and everything. Wait, hold and up. Are, are you the dude in those videos, by the way? He's like, always be practicing. Is that, is that you? No, no, no. That's not me. That's, that's one of his other buddies. Like, uh, there's probably okay. no videos. The only thing of like me and Saudi will ever find line is that we did a song together back in the day called Mio Foria. And that was like the Saudi origins. <laughs> oh, but cool. uh, n- no, he, uh, yeah, he's like that in, in, in real life. He's just uh, uh, one of those people. I think he was kind of in the beginning. I don't want to speak for Saudi, but. Uh, this is how I saw him in the beginning. He's just like a quiet, chill, reserved guy. But then when you put him by a machine, he's like really into it. He plays with it. He's very playful with it. Uh, he would do these little performance around in Orlando and he'd be looking at you doing like that. I mean, that's just him. And it's like, yeah, it's yeah. so natural for him to do it in person. But like, I've seen him grow more. Uh, he's become more social, more 
uh, I don't know, open as a person because uh, the more people he meets and the more people with different ideas and things, he starts talking to different people, hippies, liberals, conservatives. He starts talking to all these people and he's just, he's, he's like a sponge. And that's what I like about him. That's why he's, he's super easy to get along. And uh, that's what kind of I wanted in, in this character. The, the huge reason too of naming this uh, character the Immortal Asadi is because I saw in Asadi that the going back to presentation where Farnoosh was talking about, this isn't the first time somebody's tried to mix Middle Eastern sounds with hip hop or trap, but every time they do it, it's just like so corny and so forced. And it's just yeah. maybe like a four second loop and, 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 or they just take a sample, but Asadi's like, he does this thing where it's like, I feel yeah. like this could have played in ancient Persian times That's and what people would have wrecked People back then would have recognized it. Yeah. You hear me? And, and and like in Falchmar in modern day times we're listening to his trap music, but it's, it's yeah. just so classical. It has the instruments. It has the the Persian sitar. It has the um, I oh, yeah. call it the I called it the pizza box. It's called the it's this huge thing that uh, he always has all these instruments he plays. Uh, the the santor he plays all yeah. these instruments and he and, and he incorporates it into his music. And he's right. so well versed yeah. in Persian culture. So I was like, yeah. I'm gonna make a character the immortal story that embodies the Persian state of its culture throughout history. And he's going to have this name because I think there's a, uh, this is an observation from the outside. There's a lot of Persians that have Arabic names, right? It's like, at what point do you hate your name to where you don't recognize it's still who you are? And I, I don't know if that's a little too personal. I'm getting, getting too deep in it. But the thing is that in history, there's Persians with Arabic names and there's important people in Persian culture. You mean, uh, going from those martyrs, some of the martyrs, you mean, that have Arabic names. It's like these people still represent Persian people and they, and they wear it proudly. And uh, yeah, that's something that some growing pain that the immortal society, which like we'll figure out like why people are calling him that, or if they even calling him that during that time, uh, why that's his name. Yeah. No. And we're de- We're all definitely excited to read that man. Good shit. Good shit. Um, no, I, I definitely love his music too. Um, and like you know like you know every time you know keith lives across from me so like we'll, we'll go somewhere and if there's something if usually if there's anything playing in my car oftentimes it is a Saudi. and you know like something that i love about it is just like it brings you to this mysterious era that most people don't know about mm-hmm. right and it, i feel like it really just brings that ancient culture to life it, it's cinematic you feel like it's from a yeah. movie um that's the reason why uh, I, when i told him my idea for this for this story. And I was like, Hey man, I want to name him Asadi. Here's my reasons. He was like, dude, let me do a theme song for him. I was like, bro, the immortal Asadi like, song? I, like, I, I kind of like, didn't want to ask you. I wanted to ask you, I was hoping you'd say it, but I'm glad you said it. Yes. Can you please? He's like, dude, we're going to do like, you're going to launch this campaign and I'm going to launch, I'm going to like put little snippets out there of it coming soon. And then people won't know what's going on. We're going to promote the song heavily in the beginning, kind of cool. alluding that there's a, actually a campaign running for it on the side. And once the song starts trending, then we're going to start directing people towards the story. And so me and him collaborated together, worked with the release and everything. The cover art was done by my artist, Nick, as well, mm-hmm. uh, for the Immortal Saudi. The, the, he wanted to drive home that the song was made for this character that's going to be uh, telling a story of the ancient Persian, uh, in, uh, the ancient Persian immortals. And uh, it, every time I listen to his song, when I, like I listen to Caspian, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so 
um, a Saudi's horse named Shadis, right? Which is actual fictional character within Persian folklore. And uh, I'm kind of throwing names on certain animals and stuff too, to kind of show that like, hey, this could be a name that was just floating around. And like, they decided to throw it on a horse in the fictional characters you know, that you guys know as folk folklore. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of mythology wrapped around that as well. And when I listened to this on Caspian, like I did uh, this short video where I did the concept art, you mean really quick, and I kind of throw it in the digital, but it's a song playing, but I tagged it with this video in the beginning where a lot of people thought that the Caspian horse was instinct. And uh, listening to Sadi's song kind of like made me do the research on the horse. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely adding this as a character in the book because it represents something that people thought in Persian culture was dead, but it's as old as King Cyrus who used these horses that were like, you mean, well-known in it. I just think like his music uh, embodies all his songs, like embody some part in my story. And uh, he's talked about, uh, he said it a few times in uh, in some of our interviews that he's going to create theme songs for each character. Like Zahak's going to have his own theme song. I mean, there's going to be a different version of the Immortal Saudi song, which is more slower paced and everything. And so it's like, we're, we're really creating this hype and this build up for a character to where people like a lot of the success for my comic book uh, comes from the, uh, the, the, the material surrounding him, you know, the, the trap music, the, the little video snippets I'm creating using stock footage of Iran and, 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 and Persopolis and Susha and all these uh, uh, old uh, ancient um, cities. Uh, I'm, I'm really trying to tie this whole thing that immor- the immortal side, I'm not just showing this cool character, who is an immortal. I'm showing you like everything that's surrounded, the music, the score, the theme song. Every character has his own theme yeah. song. The immortal Asadi has so, his own theme song. Well, you're definitely doing a great job promoting it. And like I said, I'm definitely planning on buying all the issues when they come out. I'm really excited about it. And, you know, obviously as an Iranian dude, and I'm sure if I knew, you know, we feel the same way. Like we're, we obviously endorse this. This is obviously a good dope idea. And hopefully, maybe one day, it could be like a movie or some shit, or like a Netflix series, The Immortal Asadi. Bro, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to just keep quiet for now, but like, oh shit. trust me, oh, man, shit. short-term and long, I have short-term and long-term goals, bro. Animated shit, like, trust me, man, right. if, if you're thinking of where this can be, trust me, it's bro, I want my mind, and I'm, I'm laying, what, what did Will Smith, one brick at a time, bricks, uh, bro, one brick, I want and another brick. I already know what the house is going to look like, but right now I got bricks. (laughs) I got one brick. Well, I'm definitely, uh, we're all definitely excited to uh, check that out. Um, As we wrap up this episode, is there any final uh, things you each want to say? You want to start? Yeah, I'll start with you guys and I'll. Well, Keith, (laughs) all right. Yeah. (laughs) As far as you can go. Well, <laughs> again, <laughs> all right. If I got to go ahead and bring it on home and say something, well, I'll just say this. I am looking forward to somebody taking initiative and bringing our aspects and stories and folklore of our culture, Persian culture, um, to the forefront, trying to make it just as cool as everything else, for lack of a better word. So I really appreciate exactly uh, just that, what you're doing. Um, Looking forward to the comics and reading the stories, and uh, I'll definitely be uh, doing my part to uh, promote it as well. I'm sure Shaheen will be doing it as well as Keith, because I mean, at the end of the day, regardless of this being a story about the Persian immortals, it's still a dope story in general. So, um, anything that has to do with creative art that is, uh, 
interesting and intriguing. I'm all for. So uh, I wish you the best of luck to this, with this rather. And uh, I look forward to following the journey moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm pumped to see something that's historical fiction that's like, you know, like they have Prince of Persia, the video games. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's the Prince of Persia, but it's all completely fantasy. There's nothing like grounding in reality to it, really. So yeah. I'm excited to see something that's historical fiction based on real events and involving the mythology and everything else thrown in. And from a Persian perspective, because I think that's something, I mean, it's nothing, we don't have it, right? Yeah. We don't have anything like yeah. that. Um, actually, you know, they're the, the 2008 Prince out. of Persia. Yeah, the 2008 Prince of Persia game. Uh, the one that came out after the Two Thrones, uh, it was actually completely based off mm -hmm. uh, Zoroastrian lore. Was it uh, had... the Warrior Within? No, 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 no. So it was. It wasn't part of the Sands of Time series. It was. Okay. Uh, there was like this standalone game, and they made it in two thousand eight. It's like a different prince, right? And I don't know if you heard about it, but it's. Um, if you want to check it out, but it's complete. I think uh, actually, Dell, you might love this. Um, it's completely based on Zoroastrian lore, and. Uh, like the main enemy of the of the game is the Araman, the Araman, right? Mm -hmm. And they talk yeah. about Ahura Mazda, um, and a lot of the characters, you know, are inspired by Zoroastrian. Now, I mean, obviously, a lot of it's like changed too. Like, yeah. you know, it's not one hundred percent accurate, but it's just a cool concept. So, if that's something you want to check out, yeah, but, definitely. Uh, like I said, man, we're all very excited. I'm definitely excited. Love your work. I also like really appreciate. Just how much you i appreciate how much you appreciate persian culture because again like not many people do know anything about us so when we have someone like a dominican guy like come up with all this like knowledge and dedicating so much of his time to kind of help resurrect our culture and obviously like we feel honored so thank you yeah if you guys like uh for the people watching if you guys want to still secure your copy you can still do so if you go to indiegogo.com and you just uh, search the Immortal Sadi, it'll pop up there. And we have a few tiers. Um, it, it, I, I kind of feel bad for the people that live overseas because it's just shipping is ridiculous. And it's like they're it paying is. more for for shipping than they are that for actually have the book in itself is like really expensive to make comic books. I didn't know that until I started getting into this. But um, I do have the um, the digital copy available for those people that like don't want to pay for that shipping. And if they like it and they want to go ahead and get a physical copy, they can do that as well. And also, uh, because of the traction I've been getting, there is a possible uh, possibility of translating into Persian Farsi as well. Is I got like a lot of people that are like want to translate it for free. And I do the lettering myself, so it's nothing but a thing for me to get their text and throw it on there and re like resend it in the digital copy in Persian Farsi. That's fucking dope, dude. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh because due to sanctions, like you can't really yes. like ship. Digital yeah, I can't. I, mean, not, I get in trouble. <laughs> physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Physical copies. I mean, but digital copies, um, that's definitely something doable. And however, your work might be considered propaganda uh, in Iran. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, you know, for with sure. The Islam, with oh yeah, the definitely. Republic, what because is they, this? They, they hate their pre-Islamic history. You know what yeah, I mean? Dude. That that government. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they'll uh, that it might run into some problems in that regard but i, I wouldn't yeah. really think about Don't it. Worry, at the end I'll of the day for you they hate me anyway. <laughs> um, i'm already in trouble so. oh yeah dude <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. I've listened to a lot of your music bro i'm like yeah. bro <laughs> yeah 
All right, man. Well, we're going to wrap this episode up, but, you know, thank you all for listening. Uh, once again, thank you, Dell, for being on this. And we do, honestly, like, we'd love to have you on again. All right. Because uh, Hopefully after everything's wrapped up, man, I'll be happy to, more than happy to come in and talk yeah. to, shoot it with you guys again. You're still oh, historically yeah, I mean, our first male guest, so. Yes. <laughs> oh, snap. I'm making history. <laughs> yes. This is, this is history. You were only uh, beat out by a feminist, that's all. We were just. <laughs> Bro, that, that's a hard, that's a hard <laughs> tale to chase, I'm man. I was, was like. <laughs> Hey, I'm sorry. No disrespect to Jazz. It was just a joke. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. You're canceled, man. You're canceled. <laughs> oh, the feminists are canceling me now. I'm done. It's over. I just lost no, my yeah. fan base. Dude, I'm sure so much. will be on Meninism. It's going to be great. 